I said in my alarm, not the one we set this morning because of daylight saving, but in Psalm 116, I said in my alarm, all men are liars. Don't know if you just sort of gloss over that one when you heard that psalm. And I reckon I know one of the lies that just about everyone in this room would have told, probably in the last few months. You know when you subscribe to something in your emails or you buy something online and you, uh, or you order something or get a ticket for somewhere and there's, after going through all your bits and putting your information, it has this little box that you must check before you go any further. You know the one I mean? It says, I have read and agree with all the terms and conditions. How many times have you checked that box and actually done what you said you've just done? John's done it every time. All men are liars. We sort of do that hoping that they'll be half as honourable as we want them to be. Hoping that those terms and conditions are just all the legal jargon, but there's no sort of subclause saying, oh, by the way, we're going to take $1,000 extra from you. We're sort of somewhat ignorant, aren't we? And maybe a bit too trusting sometimes. Do we really know what we're signing up for when we tick that box, whether we've read the conditions or not? Could we understand half the jargon in the terms and conditions? And if we did understand them, would would we be so quick to tick that box and go ahead with the transaction? When it comes to following Jesus, he doesn't want any of us He doesn't want any of his followers to be ignorant of the terms and conditions that come with following Jesus. He wants us all to know exactly what it means to be a disciple of his. He doesn't want any of us just to tick the box, pray the sinner's prayer and wear in whatever without actually knowing what it is we're signing up for, what we've been called up for, in fact as a disciple of Christ, as a Christian believer. It's easy, isn't it, when um, people are popular, when life's going well and someone's rich and famous, you think, I want to sort of drag along on their coattails and follow them. They're doing outstanding things. It's quite attractive, people that are doing really well, hoping that some of their fame and success might rub off or just being in with the in crowd. You've got to watch the football grand final just so you've got something to talk about with everyone else that watched the football grand Whatever it is, the latest trend, the latest gossip. I wonder if anyone here can tell me who is top, who is the most liked person on Instagram at the moment. It's a whole row here, I reckon, that would know. <laughs> Maybe even the top two. A couple of soccer players. Ronaldo and Messi have got the most number of followers on Instagram. Followed by singer and actress Selena Gomez and then the American socialite Kylie Jenner. Now, if you've got no idea who those people are, find someone under the age of 30 and they'll probably tell you. But it took just one post, one post, something about her eyebrows, apparently, for Kylie to lose a million followers. Just like that, within 24 hours. That's how fickle the fans can be. Although one million out of 380 million, it's not really something to cry over, is it? Perhaps more telling is how Ronaldo's girlfriend lost 11 million followers the very day she became his ex-girlfriend. No longer so popular. 
great gain in being close to someone who's popular, isn't there? What does all that have to do with Jesus and the passage before us this morning? Jesus makes it clear what it means to follow him, doesn't he? If you haven't noticed, we live in an age, and social media especially, where we've got all of that. We've got influencers and likes and followers. They're the new currency. Forget dollars and cents, forget Bitcoin even. It's about likes and followers, having that thumbs up. Rules the day. But it's not just on social media, is it? We all like to be liked, and we want to get in with those who are liked. It's something happens in our hearts. We all have a desperate need and a desire for approval and for acceptance and favour with others. And what will we do in order to get that acceptance and favour? I think what Jesus has to say here in Matthew 8, as confronting as it is, I think it's somewhat refreshing to hear the honesty of Jesus towards those who are so keen to follow him. He's not out just to gain a great following at least not in the way that influencers are today. In fact, he knew that many would not take the narrow path because it was difficult. Many would choose the wide and easy one. And he didn't try to make it easier so he'd get more. He's not motivated by the number of people who like him. He's motivated by love. Very different to the world. Very different to our own hearts. He's less interested in the number who will follow him than he is in the faith of those who do. Jesus came to serve his followers, not to be served by them. He came to save sinners, not to gain followers who only want a bit of the the action without actually really getting into the action of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't need his followers in order to make the headlines or to make a living. In fact, his followers need him. Complete reversal of the way that our own hearts and the way the world works. And so Jesus makes no apologies, nor does he try to hide the fine print in order to get a greater following. We don't hear it very much today. We often try to push it aside and promote all the benefits and blessings of following Christ. But there is a cost, isn't there? Jesus talks about it a number of times. We're going to hear it through Matthew's Gospel quite a few times about the cost of following Christ. Now, in the end, that cost is no cost at all because it's all gain. We need to remember that. It is all gain. But we only realise that when we recognise, as we've been, um, a point over there, because Wednesday nights we're doing Philippians over in the creation room. Um, When we know, as Paul says in Philippians, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. When Christ meets him and he just recognises the surpassing worth and greatness of Christ, everything else he counts as loss. So it's no cost, it's this great gain that he wants to know about. And wants to receive in him by grace through faith. In Matthew 8, as we heard last week, three healings and then a whole bundle more in Peter's mother-in-law's house. And there's a great following. He's been teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's done these healings. Relative to our day, in Jesus' day, he would have been right up with there with Messi and Ronaldo with his followers. Maybe not on social media, but as far as people gathering in person. 
they're following him on foot. The great crowd, they went up the mountain to hear him preach and now they're following him as he comes down even more when they hear what he's doing with healing the sick and casting out demons. So attractive is this man and the power and authority he's demonstrating in his teaching and healing. And we shouldn't be too quick to blame or condemn the scribe and the disciple here in verses 18 to 22. They want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And I think it's an admirable thing. They're they're willing to give up their life. They want to follow Jesus. They just don't quite realise exactly what that means yet. And so Jesus doesn't want them following him yet until they know everything. I don't think they're just sticky beaks wanting to check out what's happening, rushing home to tell others. They actually want to follow him. And good on them, I reckon. But as I said, Jesus wants them to know exactly what it was they were signing up for before joining him. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I've just heard from Scally in the kids' talk, the Son of Man, he's the king. He's got a whole kingdom forever. But while the Son of Man's here on earth, he has nowhere to lay his head. And he says to the second one, just let me bury my father. No, put, don't, put that, don't put it off. If you're going to follow me, do it now. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. If you can bear with a, something of a personal story for a moment. Back more than 15 years ago now, when I was considering vocational ministry, there'd been a number of years before that where I think the Lord had prompted and then pulled back or I'd been itchy feet and... I think Bron got a bit sick and tired of the yes, no, maybe, wait. A bit like cricketers running each other out. <laughs> Sorry. But before I started that journey and we were seriously thinking about going to Bible college and, and ministry, a question came to my mind. And that question was this. Am I doing this? Am I going into ministry and going to Bible college and ministry to please God and to follow what I sensed at the time was his call upon my life? Or was I doing this to please people? Now, I believe it was the Lord who put that question on my heart. No one else had asked me that question. But it came to me clear as day. And there were a number of people I could have been in my consideration of ministry actually trying to please and get their approval. There were three men in particular at the time who I looked up to. They'd been teaching me, mentoring me, uh, caring for me formally and informally over a number of years, which was all good and right. There was nothing wrong with it. It was really good and helpful. But it would have been really easy for me to mistake the call of God for a craving of my own heart just to get their approval, to get their thumbs up, their like. I'll be honest enough to admit that I like it, and I'm sure there's some here who do too, when people speak well of you. If you're about to go do something wonderful and glorious or Christian service, that's a really good thing to do. So you get a pat on it and it feels good, doesn't it? I don't think there was anything wrong or ungodly in the way any of that had worked out. It was a number of sort of Paul and Timothy kind of relationships that were there. And they were good, they were important. But it was just as good and important for me to ask that question. What's the reason I'm doing this? For God or for man? And after some prayer and consideration, the answer that I gave to that question was, no, I'm doing this together with Brian and together with the eldership, sensing the call of God, 
and for the right reasons, humbly wanting to serve him faithfully. I don't believe anyone's heart's completely pure in that, but that was the answer that came. But I was so grateful the Lord had put that question on my heart at the time. All three of those men, they were here at Corra at the time. Some of you might know who I'm thinking of. That's not the point. They were all here, but at the time, within, I think, the first year of my time in study at Bible College, if not soon after, within that short time frame, each of those men were gone in one way or another. One had died, two had finished up in their roles. I was so grateful God had asked me that question before that time. Because if I was leaning on them and their approval, I would have just been crushed. No prop to lean on. Any grand thoughts I had of being apprenticed into ministry as we had planned, and it was a good plan, it was a good idea, but it didn't eventuate as we had planned. But more to the point, what would have happened to me and any ministry to follow had I not asked that question or been asked that question, as I said, by the Lord before that time? Or worse still, what would have happened if I gave a different answer to that question? Only the Lord knows, really, doesn't he? He goes before us. He knows what's ahead. And I think the Lord knew that I needed to know that it was he who was calling me and that I was leaning on him for the days to come. not some misguided ambition or intention of my own. As I said, I don't think any of us can ever really know the full intentions even of our own heart, let alone someone else's. At best, they're probably mixed. But I'm really glad the Lord showed me when he did what he showed me that day. Like the disciple Peter, full of good intentions, wasn't he? Most of his life, very keen, saying he's even willing to die for Jesus. Such courage and conviction most of the time especially that night, the Last Supper, good food, good friends, warm room. But those intentions are not good enough when the threats come, when the trouble starts and the pressure's put on. It's one thing to be willing to make sacrifices for Jesus when all things are going well. It's another thing altogether to actually make those sacrifices when push comes to shove. We need something more than just good intentions. Definitely more than the approval of others or just the highlight reel of ministry to keep us going, don't we? We need a saviour. We need a king. One who will hold us. History shows us Peter did end up dying for Jesus. Just as Jesus said he would. But not before Peter learned what it meant to really love Jesus and follow him. Jesus, uh, Peter had to learn, <clears throat> he had to know that Jesus came to save him, not Peter to save Jesus. That Jesus would die for him before he could ever die for Jesus. Jesus never shied away from speaking the truth. Never tried to hide the reality of what it means. No small fine print at the bottom of the page. He wouldn't let anyone follow him who had not read or heard or understood the terms and conditions. And here in Matthew's Gospels, just the first of many descriptions, 
explanations, perhaps even warnings of what it means to follow Jesus. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you're going to follow me, you need to be willing to share that with me. And there's an urgency, isn't there? Let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus actually requires wholehearted devotion and allegiance of those who are going to follow him. It means letting go of some of the things of the world. It means missing out on some of the things we might desire in life. Not that we wouldn't receive them back. Thank you, Bob. Not that we don't receive them back a hundredfold, Jesus says. But that's to be taken in faith. Because it does not come back just like that, does it? We're actually called, we're going to hear later on, to deny ourselves. Pick up our cross and carry it. And you don't pick up a cross without knowing where that cross ends up. Being crucified with Christ. As I said, like Paul in Philippians, he counted everything else as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. That's how good it is to follow Jesus because of the surpassing greatness and worth of knowing him. So this is not a hard word, this is a joyful word, but it's a real one in what it means for us. We do tend to make much of the benefits and the blessings of following Christ and being a Christian, and so we should because there's so many the rich eternal benefits as well as the ones today, the blessings that come, the mercies every morning, salvation, adoption, forgiveness, sanctification. Here's our refuge and our strength and our comfort and our peace. But I wonder when people come, if they do, or we're talking with them about the gospel, whether we talk about these verses. I wonder if the scribe who came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go thought with someone like Jesus with all this power and authority this is going to be a good guy to follow there'll be some security if I follow him and there is but maybe not in the way the scribe was thinking there is great security in following Christ more than this world can ever offer but it's not the same kind that this world tries to offer but never delivers there's so much of the kingdom of God which is unseen here on earth isn't there it's eternal compared to the very seen but temporary things of this life. Foxes have holes and birds have nests <clears throat> and they're good and they're needy. <clears throat> Just as our homes are for us. But they're tents. Just as our bodies, are, these earthly bodies, Paul describes as tents compared to the eternal security and glory of our heavenly dwelling with God. <clears throat> sorry my asthma's kicked in and the ventolin's starting to do its thing with the throat all is well Jesus is not looking for fair weather followers who just follow him when life is going well he wants them to know what it takes every day to follow him and he knows it's not going to get easy for him <clears throat> and it won't get easy for his followers more than just a croaky throat At a minimum, I think Jesus is saying here when he talks about foxes having holes and birds of the air having nests, he's saying we have a lot of creature comforts, don't we, in life? And we live in a land where we've got plenty of them, really. Whatever trials and troubles, we all face our troubles. 
but we live reasonable, comfortable lives and we should be grateful for God's good gifts to us. Absolutely. But Jesus is also saying, don't rely on them. (laughs) There's one greater than all that the world can offer and even better than the gifts that my Father gives you. He holds us. He's the one we lean on. He's the one we trust in. Anything beyond that is luxury. It's good gift. Enjoy it. Give thanks for it. But know that your life, as we've heard a couple of weeks ago, your life is hid with Christ in God. That's where it's kept and secure. Not in your nest or your hole or your bed or your home. It's in Christ. It was interesting chatting with a fellow pastor a few months ago now. He was just noting the difference only a few decades ago and in particular denominations that may still happen. But for a minister who was in training, finished their time at seminary in that last year, what would happen is basically they'd get called to somewhere and they would go wherever they were called to. They'd be sent off. Them and their family, if they had family, they'd just go. Didn't matter where. And then 10 years later, they called and they'd go, whatever. They'd just follow Whereas now he said, pastors seem to have this plan. Will I be somewhere? And then they want to go to the coast. They want to go to the bush. They want to do, and they pick and choose based on their. And it's interesting, isn't it? How things have changed. Following the call of God or choosing what suits us. Now the thing is, that's not just for pastoral ministry. What Jesus is saying here is for everyone who follows him. He's speaking particularly about his earthly ministry here. But I think it then goes out, doesn't it, into life for all of us. As he's left this world and ascended and sits at the right hand, he's saying to all of us who follow him, guys, your citizenship is in heaven. Here is just a nest, it's just a hole. It'll come, it'll go. But there's an eternal dwelling place. That's where our security lies. And following Jesus, discipleship, Leo Morris says, means forsaking present securities and adventuring into the unknown. But what an unknown and what an adventure when it's Christ who's leading us as we follow him. Think of Abram and his journey. Just said, go, <laughs> come out of your land, take leave your family, and go to a place I'll show you. So the second man, another of the disciples, that is one following him at the moment, heard his sermon on the mount, seen what he's doing with the healings. Jesus seems quite harsh in how he responds, doesn't he? Let the dead bury their own dead. Don't worry about your father. Seems quite harsh. This man hasn't brought his father to Jesus for healing. In fact, he does seem to know something about following Jesus means cutting ties with his earthly family. I want to follow you, but first let me bury my father. He's not quite ready to follow him yet. He, he actually wants to honour his family. It was an important thing in Jewish tradition for a son to bury his father, to honour his father both in life and in death. Maybe this man's father had already died, but that's probably unlikely because they would usually bury them on the same day, even though the time of mourning would carry over. Chances are he wants to wait till his father dies before leaving his family and following Jesus, which means he's putting it off, postponing it, until his obligation at home is fulfilled. And the point Jesus makes here is there's an urgency in the matter of the kingdom. There's an urgency in the matter 
And there's both the matter of the kingdom itself being one of life and not of death. Jesus, follow me here is not an invitation, it's a command, it's an imperative. And if there's a need to bury somebody or even a close loved one, well, the claims of the kingdom, the claims of the king of that kingdom trump that obligation. Jesus is suggesting, commanding that this man follow him now if he really wants to follow him. Somebody else, the dead, he says, can bury their own dead. By which he might be saying somebody who's not yet come to see Jesus, probably interpreting it spiritually, someone who's still dead in their transgressions and sin, not alive in Christ, they can deal with those who have died. We already heard in the Sermon on the Mount that for those who follow, those who are children of God's kingdom, the priorities of this world are flipped on their head. We seek first the kingdom and his righteousness not the things of this world. I don't think for a minute Jesus is saying here that no Christian should bury their own family members. Nor is he saying that we shouldn't honour our mother and our father. It's part of the commandments, isn't it? I don't think he's denying that, whether they're believers or not. The New Testament Christian ethic actually upholds very strongly the need to care for our family, very strongly. Where am I? But Jesus is not saying to let the things of death or dying or even our traditional family obligations to hinder or delay our following of him. Given here, we're speaking of the days of Jesus' life here on earth in his ministry. Time is short, three years before he goes to the cross. This man's, if this man's father has not yet died, it might be too late for him to follow Jesus in his actual footsteps before his father dies. And whilst it's not too late to follow Jesus just because he's gone to the cross, because we've all done that, I trust, it would be too late to follow him in the way this man was intending him to. And elsewhere Jesus says, doesn't he, you need to hate your mother and father. Now it doesn't mean hate, it actually means you need to choose me above that. If they're going to be an obstacle, if something in your, those things are going to be a hindrance to you following me, we need to choose. Cannot serve two masters. We follow Christ. Jesus is not belittling the death of a loved one here. We heard it in Psalm 116. The death of those who, know, who God knows, the death of his saints, they're precious in his sight. One writer explains what Jesus is saying here by saying, Jesus is not trying to turn this man away from his family ties. It's simply a case of the good news of the kingdom being more urgent. And the task holding him back could just as, be, just as easily be fulfilled by someone else. Jesus is not saying here, don't love your mother and father. But he is saying, don't love them above me. Because what does the Lord say? Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul and your whole strength. Wholehearted devotion, Old Testament and new. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. No difference in the new covenant language, is there? Doing everything to and for the glory of God. 
the very thing actually of loving our family is part of God's kingdom work, isn't it? Part of love and service, honouring our parents, that's part of the kingdom. Actually following Christ can mean doing the very thing Jesus said for this man not to do, to care for them. You got to look to Romans and it talks about how to care for widows and actually categorise widows. If they've got family, they should be looked after by their family. The church should look after widows who have no family. So there's, a, there's actually a Christian ethic, there's a Christian values here that God's given us to look after our family. So important actually. Especially in a day in the New Testament where there was no welfare services. But love the Lord your God with your whole heart. And your love for one another is a fruit from that, flows from the love of God and our love for him. That same psalm, Psalm 116, that we had read for us, teaches us something more about the Lord and those who follow him. These men, these two men actually came to Jesus and they said they wanted to follow Jesus, which I think is interesting in itself. They wanted to follow Jesus, whereas actually the disciples Jesus calls, he chooses them. None of us actually follow Christ until he calls us to follow him, really. And Psalm 16 teaches us something about that. We won't applaud when they walk in, okay? (laughs) Daylight saving. Psalm 116 tells us, well, if we're choosing to follow Christ, what are we going to give to him? Nothing. Any who follow Christ, we've got nothing of our own to give to him, not even in um, reciprocal from what he's given us. What do I give to him for all his benefits to me? Only thing I can give is to receive from him. Full and wholehearted allegiance and devotion. What shall I give to you, Lord, for all his benefits to me? I'll take up the cup of salvation and I'll call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to him and I'll call upon him because of his saving mercy and grace, having my soul saved from death. Because, verse 7, he has dealt bountifully with me. Return, O soul, to your rest. That's where you find your resting place, in him, because he has dealt bountifully with us. Now, we're not told whether either of these two men did end up following Jesus or not. Maybe they're included in the 12 that he calls with his disciples. They haven't got names here. But as I said, if they did end up following him, whether one of the 12 or not, don't think so. But it's only because Jesus chooses them and tells them to follow him. One of them, we're not told. Jesus does say, follow me. Not told where he ends up. And maybe Matthew's leaving that blank on purpose. Maybe he's leaving that there to hang for his readers then and for us today to answer the question. Once we really know what's involved in following Jesus, are we still so eager? Are we willing to say, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through? Are we willing to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? 
and not worry about the things of this world, all our previous agendas and obligations and priorities in order to follow Jesus. I think the question is left hanging here for us to consider. And my prayer is that for each of us it will be a resounding yes. I want to follow Jesus. I am and I will wherever he takes me. And my prayer is that we'll answer that yes, not just because we're willing to pay the cost, but because we know the great gain and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. We will only answer yes because of the grace of God. We can only cling hold, uh, fully, wholly, and hold fast to Christ when we've got nothing in our hands to bring. Then we can cling on to him because he's actually taken hold of us. It may be coincidence, maybe. But Leon Morris, he puts his own little perhaps here, leaving room for the coincidence. But he raises the point. When Jesus says here, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In John's Gospel, we're told at the cross, Jesus says the same word where he says lay his head here, John uses that same word with speaking of Jesus when he bows his head on the cross. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's there on the cross, the Son of Man had a place to lay his head. Just a poetic long bow to draw, maybe. But that's where following Christ actually takes us, isn't it? That's what happens when you pick up your cross daily and follow him. It takes us to the cross. That's the resting place that Jesus found to lay his head. In obedience to his Father, in love for you and me. That's the cost of true discipleship. Actually, it's the way of true sonship. It's the home of every true disciple of Jesus, the cross of Christ. Because it's only through the cross that we're taken into the dwelling place of God. Where we find rest for our souls. And that cross shapes everything about us. Jesus says to each of us this morning, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have a nest. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Follow me. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, for some of us to hear that call... To follow you may be new. For some of us, we've been doing it for years, for decades. And we're still learning what it means. The great benefits as well as the cost. The great blessing as well as what it means to carry our cross. But Father, we pray that in this you would call us afresh. 
you would open the eyes of our hearts to know the hope to which you've called us. Not just the hardships, they're there too. But the glorious hope, the glorious riches and the immeasurable greatness of the power that's at work in Christ and towards us who believe. Father, if we're asked to do things that we would never have imagined doing for the sake of Christ, we pray by your spirit you'd give us courage, wisdom and faith to follow you wherever you will take us. We thank you that we have one who has submitted himself to your will in love so that we could have life so that we'd know where following him would actually take us. Not just in this life, but in glory. As we heard a few weeks ago, that when he appears in glory, we too will appear with him. That's where following him takes us, whatever the weather. And for that we're grateful. In that sure hope we stand today and walk by faith. And we pray, Father, you would keep us in that sure hope each day by your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.